rather you live your life in vanity we're here today with Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, the pastoral care coordinator for our restorative justice ministry in the Gatesville region, and Renee Brown, director of counseling services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin in service to the restorative justice ministry. And today we're going to begin a second session on de-escalation of when someone is beginning to ramp up and get angry, maybe uh, work their way towards violence, uh, to be able to know how to take that in and handle it and, and be able to respond in a way that brings about a peaceful resolution, as the Lord certainly asks us to try and do. Um, Deacon Ronnie. Renee, last time we were together, we you unpacked for us a lot of um, parts of de-escalation uh, what I'd like to ask you today to help us with some specific skill sets for de-escalation. So some of the specific skills that you can utilize for de-escalation include uh, active listening, um, acknowledging feeling, uh, gaining clarifications from people, and um, using open-ended questions just to kind of get through um, what they're going through to kind of help them work through all that. So in that regard, the first one you listed was active listening. Um, that's got a uh, description there. It's active. What's the difference between active and just listening? <laughs> you know, typically we listen to respond. So when we're agitated or upset, we're just listening to respond to something because we're angry or whatever. Active listening is a little different in that it's it's wanting you to actively listen. And what you're doing is you're listening to understand. So you're listening to this person to get a deeper understanding of maybe what they're experiencing and what they're going through. So you're not listening to respond. If I'm listening to respond and the person says, well, I'm really angry, you know, uh, this guard said blah, blah, blah to me. Well, you just need to get over it. I'm kind of listening to respond to inject something, right? But if I'm listening actively and this person, you know, I'm really upset with this guard. They said all these rude things to me. Then you can be like, wow, you're really upset with the guard. You're really frustrated with them. Or you're really hurt by what they said. It's affected you in some way. So listening actively is a little different than that response piece. What's going to happen typically is when a person's really angry, they're irate, they're just going to kind of flood you, meaning they're just purging that angry energy that they have. And so they're just trying to get everything out, and they're just purging. Um, in counseling, I was sharing with you all earlier, when our new counselors come in, I'll often tell them that during that first session, sometimes people will come in and they just need to unload. They have so much hurt and pain that they've been holding on to that they come in and they vomit on you. And that means they're just telling you everything, and sometimes we feel ill-prepared to hear all that, it's kind of overwhelming even for us as the listener. And so in this same situation with that person that's highly escalated, they're irate and they're angry, once they start talking, they may flood you with information. They may be vomiting all of this pent-up hurt and pain that they're experiencing. They're going to vomit on you. 
And so it can be a really interesting time as long as this person isn't like combative um, or you feel like you're going to be harmed. This can be a great opportunity for you to allow them to just get everything out that they need to get out. Now, if they're combative, there's no way that I would suggest you put yourself in that line of, you know, trying to help somebody if they're combative. But certainly if a person is just really irate and they're just up there, if you can take that time to just listen, then that can be really helpful for them. And so when they're saying things, you can even validate that as well. So I think, and correct me if you think I'm uh, wrong about this, but it seems to me like most of us, just by default in our ordinary practice of communication, we tend to be the more response listeners Mm -hmm. than the active listeners. So what do I do if if I'm in that situation, and, and particularly in prison, where there's more of the potential for escalation to occur? And I say to myself, you know, then I, it seems to me I need to change the way I do my listening. What are some of the things that a person can do to change themselves into an active listener? This is something that actually takes practice. Um, <clears throat> I couldn't do this until I became a counselor. I was a teacher for years, but even then it was that response. You know, I'm listening to respond to students in the classroom uh, because I wasn't a counselor. And even as a parent, I didn't oft- I was responding to get, you know, my point across. That's part of what that response listening is. I'm listening to you because I want to be able to interject my point of view and say what I think is important. But when I'm actively listening, that's kind of a different thinking altogether. So one, it takes practice. So what you can do, anybody could do this, is just even today, when you're having conversations with somebody, be practicing active listening. I'm not listening to respond. I'm not listening so that I can interject my point of view or my opinion or my thought. I want to listen to this person so that I can understand them and validate maybe for them a feeling. So it takes a practice, number one, to do this. And then number two is if you're in that moment, maybe you haven't got to practice your skills enough, but if you're in that moment with somebody that's escalated, just if you can give yourself that reminder, hey, I need to actively listen. Don't respond from self, right? I want to actively listen to understand them. And this is not about me. My point of view is not my opinion, my point of view. This is not what this is about. And so in that moment, reminding yourself, be an active listener, you know, and you're trying to pick out those things that help you understand this person on a deeper level, you're trying to understand their feelings and their thoughts. So would that be, for instance, um, would it be counterproductive or a way to catch myself? If I, if you're talking and I'm already formulating what I'm going to say next, mm-hmm. then I need to say to myself, hey, don't be formulating, right. be listening. Perfect. You said exactly. Okay. Or I might um, add, uh, if I'm trying to listen, or I'm listening to you and I'm uh, formulating an opinion or uh, moving towards solving your problem. Ah, yes. Uh, perhaps uh, that's not why you're there. Mm-hmm. And you didn't come to me to solve your problem. You, you came to me because you wanted me to listen, listen to your problem. Exactly. And Deacon Ronnie, you bring up a good point because part of what de-escalation and all these skills are about, what your hope is, is this person 
by reflecting their feelings or validating their feelings or the active listening, all these skills that you're doing, what your hope is, is that they're going to figure out how to solve their problem or they're going to really tap in to the root of this problem. You're wanting them to see like, wow, I'm out of control with this. I need some help with this. So exactly. We don't want to formulate you know, our response, and we don't want to problem solve it for them. We want this person to be able to problem solve it. How do we acknowledge someone's feelings or emotions? So another thing, it's, it's another one of those practice things. Um, it always, these, whenever I'm going over these skills, it always takes me back to, to when I was raising kids, right? And some of this stuff I did not do really well. And so in validating a person's feelings, you're, you're just whatever you can kind of see visually this person's experience or what they're telling you, you want to validate the feeling. That is not the same as validating a behavior. These are two different things. When I talk to parents, they're always like, you want me to validate their behavior? And I'm like, no. So, for example, if somebody throws something, let's say they throw the remote, right? I can say to this person, I, I see that you're upset. You're frustrated. But we're not throwing the remote. So I didn't validate the behavior, but I validated that this person's upset or they're angry. Um, So when you're listening, when you're involved in your active listening, um, what you're hoping is that you'll be able to kind of pick up from what this person is saying. You know, I'm really upset. We can't have visitation. I think I've used that kind of as an example before. So I can tell you're really frustrated. You're overwhelmed that you can't see your family. Okay. And I'm just now thinking in a few episodes a while back, we did our anger iceberg as well. So people could even kind of tap into that if you still have that information. Um, Because remembering that that anger is just that surface thing that we show and there's all these feelings underneath. And so if this person, you know, I haven't seen my family. Wow, you're really sad you haven't seen your family. You know, it must be painful. You're experiencing pain because you haven't seen your family. Validating feelings goes a really long way in relationship. You know, uh, I'm assuming if you've been cellmates for a while with somebody, then there's this relationship there, maybe friendship, maybe just a relationship that you're in the same room, but you get to know people. And so if you can validate this person's feelings, um, it says a lot about the relationship and maybe helping this person um, de-escalate and realizing, helping them to realize, you know what, it's more than my anger. It really is that I'm in pain. I haven't seen my family and this hurts me deeply, you know, or I am frustrated with these rules that we have, you know, with COVID and my family can't come to visit me. So when you validate a feeling and some, and and you may be wrong and that's okay too. So if you validate in a wrong way, they're going to correct you and you can be, oh, I didn't even think of that. And, but it's helping them tap in. So it's not about you being right or wrong with validating that feeling. You validate it, and if you're right, okay, and if you're wrong, it's it's fine too because it's going to help them uh, tap into their emotion <clears throat> as well. And so one of the things that I'm always kind of cognizant of is telling people, using the word understand. Even though you're trying to help, you're trying to work on understanding what this person is experiencing You want to try to avoid using the word understand. 
And so I gave this example to somebody the other day. Um, you know, two people could lose their father and have a totally different experience, right? I lost my father a year and a half ago. It was absolutely devastating for me. So for somebody to come up to me and go, oh, I understand. I lost my t- dad, too. Where I'm at, I'm not offended, but some people could be because you had a relationship with your dad. I've had a relationship with my dad. It does not mean they're the same relationship, right? And so understanding can, when you say I understand, can almost be offensive to a person or it can escalate them where you don't understand what I'm going through. What the hell? You don't know me. You don't know my experience, right? So you just want to be very careful about using the word understand just because it can escalate somebody because it doesn't always have the same meaning for all people. Um, and also when you're validating um, somebody's feelings, I loved what I read about this. It's really great because it says it displays a willingness to listen and confirms confirms the legitimacy of this person's feelings and what they're experiencing. And it's without condoning the behavior. When you validate this per when you validate a person's feelings, you're saying your feelings are valid, your feelings are legitimate, your experience, your truth is legitimate. But you're not condoning the behavior. You're just validating the feeling. Um, and what you're hoping that this uh, that the irritated irate person is understanding is that their behave that their um, feelings are important. Um, you know, I taught children for 23 years, have done counseling now for five. So many people do not feel like their feelings are important because I think we just don't talk about feelings enough. And so often people feel like their feelings aren't important. And I'm sure a lot of people incarcerated absolutely feel that way, right? Um, And maybe in, in talking with them and that validation will help them see, like, it's not your feelings aren't the problem. It's your behavior. And you're hoping that that clicks for them. You're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio, and we're here today with Renee Brown, Director of Counseling uh, Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas, and Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, a Pastoral Care Coordinator for the Gatesville Region and Restorative Justice Ministry. And I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, also in the Restorative Justice Ministry. Um, Renee, one of the things that happens to most of us when we go into a crisis mode, whether it's long-term or, in this case, maybe short-term, or short-term in the middle of long-term, is uh, we don't think straight real well. We don't always articulate, uh, you know, mm-hmm. speak the things that are on our mind or our hearts real well. You're the person of goodwill uh, in a dorm or in a pod or in a cell block, and uh, you've heard this program, and you're saying to yourself, this is a golden opportunity to try and help so this, this particular person. But I don't really uh, get what they're saying. They're, they're they're not talking straight. They don't their their thoughts aren't in a good order. How do you did pull clarity out of somebody that's in the middle of a crisis? Sure, um, you know when people are like you said, when people are highly agitated or irate, they often don't express well, right? Because they're they're emotionally dysregulated, so their brain's kind of all over the place, and so they may not be expressing in a way that you really kind of understand. And that's one of your goals is to understand what they're experiencing. So one of the things that you can do is is restate or you can reflect back. So those are kind of two different things that you can do to help a person. 
And so it also helps them to know that you're you're maintaining that interest in them. You know, you're not bored with this. You're not tired with it. When you're engaging with them, then this is going to help them to, to see that um, you're demonstrating a desire for that additional dialogue and that the communication is open and you're there for them. And so restatement, it involves literally restating what the person shared, but you don't want to parrot it, meaning if they say, I'm frustrated, you don't say you're frustrated. You want to, you don't want to parrot because that can come off as disrespectful or unbelievable. So what you want to do is to just restate it in a different way. And so um, I think I have a, a statement that I created, but it says the goal of restatement is to allow the speaker to hear. Uh, it allows the, the escalated person to hear their own words coming back to them. And it demonstrates that the listener is trying to perceive their world. And so if the person says, I've had a jacked up week, you know, you can come back with, well, you've had a challenging week. So I restated what they said. I just used a different word in there. So instead of saying jacked up, and they would probably use a different phrase. I didn't put it in here. You know, you can say you've had a challenging week. So you've restated it. And what's great for that escalated person is, one, they know that you're actively engaged. You're trying to understand. And two, they hear their words coming back at them, which helps them think through what they're experiencing as well. So that's restatements. Restatements are very easily. It's just implanting maybe some different words, but restating exactly what the speaker said. And then reflection, it, it will help people. It, you're helping kind of to provide empathy to this person. And it almost, and you're also validating feeling as well. So we call it reflection of feelings sometimes in counseling. You're just reflecting back what this person shares about their feelings. So it validates feelings, as I said, but it also demonstrates empathy. And empathy is not a skill that every person is born with. Empathy, some it comes natural to some people, and empathy is something that has to be practiced by other people. So this is a great way for you as the responder to practice your empathy skills if that's if you're not a natural at it, but to the listener, to that person that's, you know, escalated and irate, they're going to hear that empathetic piece. So um, if it's somebody that says, um, for example, I'm pissed off, I want to see my mom and I want to see my kids and I'm tired of these rules. So they said a lot there. So if you want to reflect back them back to the person, you could be like, you really miss your family and you're frustrated with the rules about visitation. You've reflected back. You've kind of restated one, what they said, but you also reflected that feeling because they've said <clears throat> that they're pissed off, right? They're angry. They want to see their mom. They want to see their kids. They're tired of these rules, which means they're frustrated in some way. So when you reflect back that feeling, and it can take a minute. I mean, <laughs> I make it sound easy, and I have notes in front of me too, right? So sometimes, you know, on the cuff, it's a little harder to do. And that's why you have to do that active listening so that you can hear exactly what they're saying. So I'm pissed off. Okay, obviously they're mad, right? And they they want to see their mom and kids, so they probably miss them and they're wanting to see them, and they're frustrated with the rules. So when you give back with reflection, you're saying you really miss your family, 
So you've tapped into that family part that they're missing them. And you're frustrated with the rules for visitation. And so in that moment, hopefully the listener, the escalated person is like, wow, this person's showing me some empathy. They really get me. They're getting this experience. And it's not so much that I'm angry. I really miss my family. I want to see them. And I'm frustrated with the rules. And that's what you're hoping, too, is that they're that they're in their own head. The escalated person is putting these puzzle pieces together, so to speak. Would you say that that has elements of basically putting yourself in their shoes? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's it's like I said, empathy is that thing. Um, I never thought about it before because I'm an empathetic person. But I was reading some literature and it was talking about that empathy is something that a lot of people really don't have. And it's a practice. And so it's something that um, we encourage our parents to be working with their children on. And it is. It's exactly you're putting your self in this person's in their shoes. Literally put yourself in their position because maybe you don't have kids. You know, maybe you don't have a good relationship with your mom. So maybe you don't really care about that. But you can put yourself in the position of this person going, wow, they don't they miss their mom. They must have a good relationship with their mom. They miss their kids. I can't imagine what it would be like not to see my kids, you know, but really putting yourself in in that person's shoes. Renee, say I'm my I'm, my bunkie's upset. Mm-hmm. He's uh, actively uh, disturbed. Uh, and I'm engaged in listening to him. I'm being empathetic. But could you help me with some open-ended questions? Um, can you, first of all, speak to the importance of an open-ended question? And then give us some examples um, of, of, of what, how I can engage in some dialogue with him. Sure. We tend to ask questions that will give a yes or no response. And we want to avoid those. Right. Because we're not going to learn anything from yes or no's usually. And your goal is that that escalated person, that guy on the bunk that you've been trying to be empathetic with, you're wanting him to problem solve or kind of maybe get some awareness of what he's really experiencing. And so if you pose questions that just get a yes or no, I don't have to think about anything. No. Yes. And I'm not thinking. Right. I'm not even really engaged. Um, And we always tell people don't ask why either, because why is the easy out way of going. If I say, why did you do that? We do this all the time with kids and kids go, I don't know. Right. It's an easy out. I don't have to think. I can just say, I don't know. Whatever. So open ended questions um, typically can't be uh, answered with yes or no. And they allow, hopefully, for thinking and problem solving, which you brought up earlier, Dink and Ronnie, which is so important Many incarcerated people got there because they didn't utilize problem-solving skills, right? And we often don't. It's how we get into situations. And so by asking open-ended questions, um, we're going to facilitate, hopefully, some thinking and problem-solving. It's, it's, it's a way of getting clarification as the listener, maybe on a, with more details, so we can gain clarification of what's going on for both parties. Um, and, it, and it can allow for some deeper insight. And I would also say, too, um, is when you ask the open-ended question, give that person think time. When I, was, when I was a teacher, that's what we called it, think time, meaning often we want people to respond quickly. We ask a question, we want them immediately response. No, give them that think time. Let them process 
And this is because this is great. If you can get a person to a spot where you can ask them an open-ended question, then give them that time to think about it, you know, and mull that over for a minute before, you know, they start trying to answer. This is going to clarify your understanding as a listener. But more importantly, it helps that irate person, that speaker, kind of clarify and explore the process that they're experiencing. So just some examples of open-ended questions. Um, one of one of the things I like to ask people is, well, how did you solve this problem before? And even if they tell you an unsuccessful way, that's great, because then you can come back with, well, how did that work out for you? What was your experience with that? So asking somebody how they solved a problem before can be so helpful because if they if they solved a problem well, that gives them that encouragement and confidence that they can solve a problem again. And if they didn't solve a problem well, then also it kind of demonstrates to them, maybe I need to do something different. Maybe I need to have a new technique. You could ask somebody, what changes can you make to get a different result? You know, if you want a different result, what are the changes that you can make to get that different result? So if somebody's irate, you know, and you're to that point where you, you're able to have some of these conversations, you know, what result are you getting now? What could you do differently next time and help them think that through, you know, and maybe they'll come up with some good things like maybe next time I'll get out some paper and start writing or maybe, you know, I'll do some crunches or some push-ups, you know, maybe they'll formulate a plan of something they can do differently. What is it like? These are just random questions that I came up with uh, as an open-ended question, but I think they're kind of valid for people that are incarcerated. You know, what's it like being a single parent? What's it like being a, a single parent that's incarcerated? You know, and that helps them tap into their feelings and the experience that they're having, you know, and they'll talk about that. And then in that, whatever they express to you, you can ask more open-ended questions to continue help them continue helping them grow and facilitate that self-awareness. Um, what are some things that you can do to improve your situation? If you'll notice in every question too, it's on them, right? It's on them to figure out something different, something new. You're there to help them, but you're not there to figure it out for them. And they're, they're hopefully going to facilitate some different thinking. And so as they're putting a, maybe a plan together of some sort, like with that last question that I asked where it said, what are some things that you can do to improve your situation? You know, maybe they're like, well, you know, maybe I need to start praying more. You know, maybe I need to turn to God more. And you can say, well, what does that look like for you? And then they're going to say, well, that means getting out my Bible and reading it. Or that means, you know, getting on my knees every morning and in the evening. So asking those facilitated questions, so keep asking the open-ended questions as you go through to help that person problem solve and get to that place of calm. When someone turns the corner and you start to see that the de-escalation is being successful, are there things that you can say to affirm it? and encourage its furtherance. Mm -hmm. Sure. You can, you could interject things like, wow, you seem calmer. You know, I can tell that you're becoming calmer or you're really demonstrating some self-awareness. Um, you know, just some little things that you're catching maybe because maybe they are sitting while wow, you're sitting down now, you must be feeling more at peace or, you know, just some things like that. You're really getting it together, you know, as they're sharing things. 
wow, you're putting a plan together. You seem to be more in control. You're really figuring out how to problem solve this and talking kind of in that calm voice, too. Not that you want to be patronizing, but just acknowledging what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Well, thank you very much, Renee, for all of these really helpful things. We look forward to the next session where we talk about um, being able to um, resolve conflicts amongst ourselves as well. And let us conclude with the uh, final half of the prayer of St. Francis. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. If you walk with me, brother, will you walk with me?